This is ESPN Radio. Amber Wilson and Chris Candy on ESPN Radio and ESPN Plus. We are presented by Progressive Insurance. Who won the Net Sixers trade? Hit us up on the Candy call in line. That's 888-SAY-ESPN. That's 888-729-3776. We'll get back to that conversation in just a little bit. If you're on hold on the call in line, stay there because we want to hear from you. But right now, we got to go out to the hotline because it is Thursday on this show, and we get to hear from Aaron Dolan, ESPN sports betting analyst. You can follow her at Aaron Kate Dolan. I suggest you do because she's going to get your pockets right ahead of any major sports event that you can bet on. And Aaron, we got the Super Bowl in a couple of days. A lot of people want to get involved in this game, but before we do that, we got to talk about this huge trade in the NBA. The 76ers getting James Harden and shipping Ben Simmons to the Brooklyn Nets. We've already seen a shift in the odds. The 76ers went from 12 to 1 favorites to win the NBA title to 7 to 1, while the Brooklyn Nets stayed the same at 4 to 1. So I wanted to ask you, do you see value on either one of these teams in betting on them to win the NBA title after this trade? Well, first off, we have to acknowledge that we had the 50 Cent song coming in. This is the most hype I've been to do a show in a long time hearing that. But um, I'm a Philadelphia 76ers fan, so this has been a tough afternoon for me. And I know a lot of people probably think you're super excited because we're getting James Harden. We finally got rid of Ben Simmons because he was obviously not doing much for us, just sitting on the sidelines. But, yeah, I mean, I think there is value in betting Philadelphia right now. I mean, of course, you wish that you had taken it yesterday when you started to hear some of these rumors, but that's really the risk you take in these futures markets. I'm not really surprised that the Brooklyn Nets haven't shifted at all. Um, I feel like what's going on with them, with KD being injured, Kyrie's basically a part-time player. You don't really know how Ben Simmons is going to fit in off the bat. And also, I'm not really sure when exactly he's going to start because they're saying he needs to do some work before he's even put into the lineup. I mean, I know these two teams will face off March 10th, so it'll be interesting to see if Ben Simmons actually plays in that game in Philadelphia. I'm excited for that one. But I do think there's still, of course, value. I know, you can hear my voice. I was, like, trying to make a reaction video earlier today, and my chest was getting, like, red in my neck. And I'm like, I can't talk about Ben Simmons today. This is not good for my mental health. Um, But, yes, there is value, I would say, in still taking either – I would say more so Philadelphia than the Brooklyn Nets because I do think all the pieces are just not fitting with them right now. So a lot of storylines, obviously, right now coming out of the NBA up against that deadline. But let's talk about the little game on Sunday in that other sport, okay, Aaron? Side in total, where the money's coming in, what do you like for the Super Bowl? Yeah, so this morning we saw Caesars drop the line to Rams minus three and a half. And some people might be confused by that because yesterday it was minus four and a half and some of the other books have dropped it slightly to minus four. But a spokesperson for the book had said, we want to see what Rams money is out there. So essentially what they do is they lower a line to see if they can get different types of bettors to come onto their book and start betting the Rams and see kind of what they could, what would happen if they do do that. So it's still at minus three and a half right now. In terms of that, I'm seeing the Bengals hold 64% of the tickets and the Rams hold 56% of the money there. And then in terms of the money line, still majority of the tickets and, and money on the Bengals. We're seeing over 70% there. So Personally, for me, I do like to back the Bengals. I like them at plus four and a half, of course. I wouldn't want to, you know, keep, I wouldn't want to take the Bengals if this line continues to drop. I wouldn't take the Bengals if they're plus three or less. Um, and I also do think that this will potentially be an under game. The Bengals' last four games have gone under, and right now we're seeing more of the money on the under, 63%. Some of the tickets are starting to come in on the over, which isn't surprising. The public loves to bet the over. So what I'm hoping to do is have this line bump back up a little bit and then bet the under. 
Talking with ESPN sports betting analyst Aaron Dolan on ESPN Radio with Amber Wilson and Chris Canny. And Aaron, we know when the Super Bowl, a lot of people are going to take an interest to it. Casual sports fans are going to get involved, and they're going to bet with the prop bets on Sunday's game. And so I wanted to ask you, what are the, some of your favorite prop bets? Where do you see value in some of those uh, mm-hmm. some of those prop bets going into Super Bowl Sunday? Yeah, I mean, when you're deep diving into some of these markets, there isn't much value on some of them, but you can really dig deep and you'll find some good ones. One that I like, for example, is Cincinnati third quarter money line plus 140. Now, the Bengals are great in that third quarter. They score 73 points so far, including the playoff. That's the best mark in the NFL, and they actually allow a league-low 50 points in that third quarter, while the Rams are tied for last, allowing 116 points in the third quarter. And um, so far in the postseason, they have not won any third quarter. So I do like Cincinnati Bengals' third quarter money line. I also like Joe Barrow under 11.5 rushing yards. Now, this is bumped up a little bit. Usually this is opened around seven yards. He's averaging eight rushing yards per game this season, but he's coming off a season-high 25 against the Chiefs last week, or excuse me, I should say two weeks ago at this point. But in the postseason, the Rams' defense has allowed 3.3 rushing yards to opposing quarterbacks, and that includes Kyler Murray, who's a pretty dynamic quarterback. So I do like Joe Burrow under for his rushing yards. Aaron, we talked about the storylines impacting the odds in the NBA. Let's talk about how these storylines surrounding the Super Bowl are impacting the odds there. What, what's, what's happening on that front? Yeah, so I think one of the really big storylines is the Bengals' offensive line uh, you know, has issues in terms of protecting Joe Barrow, so you're seeing a lot of defensive props being really juiced. So, for example, the total sacks is set at five, and the over is minus 140, and the over is accounted for 96% of the total tickets and 98% of the total dollars wagered on Caesars, which is a ton of money. But you could also bet into the individual, individual player sack props, so for Aaron Donald, for example, his yes is minus 190. I mean, that's super juice. Von Miller, yes, minus 170. Trey Hendrickson, minus 150. And that's for just at least half a sack. But there are still some value maybe on the other players. You have Leonard Floyd. His yes is at plus 110 and Sam Hubbard's plus 200. But, of course, that being the, the um, offensive line of Good. Joe Burrow not being great, that kind of impacts some of the other props in terms of defense. All right, Aaron. Well, we appreciate you giving us a little bit of insight into what's going on around the NBA as well as getting us ready for the big game. I know you're pretty good this this playoffs in terms of your hit rate, so I'll be watching some of the things that you pointed <laughs> out to us. Continue to stack up that coin for us. We greatly appreciate it. Thank you. And we'll keep the intro coming because you do get money for all of our listeners and for some of the people involved on the show too, I'm just saying. But uh, coming up next, Brooklyn. Do they get enough in exchange for James Harden? We'll have the answer for that. This is ESPN Radio with Amber Wilson and Chris Canny. Breaking news on this NBA trade deadline day. How in God's name? It really came down to what the asking price was. Could you give up Ben Simmons? Of course, James Harden is the big winner. Ben Simmons is a big winner. To a team within your division. Now that's just stupid. This is ESPN Radio. ESPN Radio, this is Amber Wilson and Chris Canny, also streaming on E+. We are presented by Progressive Insurance. And we got to give a shout-out to the guys behind the glass, Amber, our very own Ryan Matlack, for keeping the Death Row Records music pumping. Of course, Snoop Dogg making the acquisition from Blackstone for the Death Row brand. So I'm excited that he got that done ahead of Super Bowl Sunday, where we know he's going to be a part of the halftime show. 
Shout out to them. That was uh, solid work by our crew. <laughs> for sure, Bob. For sure, for sure. But keep the calls coming. We're trying to break down who won the Nets 76ers trade. James Harden on his way down the turnpike to the Philadelphia 76ers. And Ben Simmons and his new team with Brooklyn. Hit us up on the candy call-in line, 888-SAY-ESPN. That's 888-729-3776. Let's go out to Steven in Baltimore. Steven, you're on with Chris Candy and Amber Wilson. What you got? Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. How are you? Doing pretty good, man. How about yourself? Good. Good. Thank you for asking. I got to tell you something. I, irrespective, I don't care how talented or unta- non-talented James Harden is. Any team that takes him is an absolute fool. He has demonstrated year after year he's not going to be content wherever he is. He moved heaven and earth to go to the Nets couldn't even stay there for a year because, in my opinion, his ego couldn't take him being the th- being third fiddle. Now he had to maneuver a trade to get out of Brooklyn. For whatever reason, who knows? But he found a way to once again not be satisfied. And the same thing is going to happen, I promise you, with the 76ers. They're Well, just to play devil's advocate with that, Amber, I think the reason why James Harden wanted out of Brooklyn is because he couldn't rely on Kyrie Irving to be there when the big three needed him to. And based on the injuries that we've seen this this group plagued with going back to last season, I could understand why James Harden would feel that way and would want out of Brooklyn. I think it's really telling that James Harden is, is trying to advocate to get away from two players that you would consider in the top 10 as far as offensive players in the NBA. But for more on this, we got to go out to the to the hotline to bring on the man, the myth, the legend, host of First Take, our very own Stephen A. Smith. And Stephen A., I know you were very critical of the Brooklyn Nets sending James Harden down the turnpike for Ben Simmons. Help me understand why you don't like that move. No, you completely misread what I said. I'm, I think that the Brooklyn Nets, made off like a bandit. Mm. Daryl Morey for the 76ers got hosed. Mm. That's what I said. Now, why, why is me? that? Can you hear me loud and clear? Can you hear yeah, me? Yeah, I, I hear you loud. Stephen A., we hear you loud and clear on that one. So <laughs> yeah. my mistake for misquoting you, but why do you think yeah. that the Nets won this trade? With ease. First of all, you've got an all-world defender in Ben Simmons. Ben Simmons doesn't need the basketball. Okay, so Ben Simmons, hello, can you hear me? Hello? Yeah, we're here. We're here, Stephen Knight. Yeah, somebody's somebody's in my ear talking. I didn't know. I didn't know. I I thought I got cut off or something. I'm sorry. Here's the deal. What I'm saying to you, Ben Simmons is an all-world defender. You've got a situation where he doesn't need the basketball. He doesn't even want to shoot, okay? So that gives more shots to Kyrie. And KD, not to mention the fact that he's athletic, he's a playmaker, he's a ball handler, high basketball IQ, an elite defender, all of those things. But not only did you get him, you got a sharpshooter in Seth Curry. You've got a rebounder extraordinaire in Andre Drummond, who's a big body that you needed to buffer your front line. Plus, you picked up two first-round picks. Philly didn't win this deal. Brooklyn won this deal. Philly got better because they got a prolific offensive player, even though he hasn't looked that way as of late. Obviously, he's a better offensive player, considerably so, than Ben Simmons. They clearly got better because Ben Simmons wasn't even playing. But Brooklyn got exponentially better. 
And Brooklyn is not only within the same conference, but the same division. To give Brooklyn pretty much everything that they needed, which was a rebounder, particularly on the offensive boards, because he's going to grab about four offensive rebounds for you a game. That's kind of rebounder Andre Drummond is. He's a legitimate big body with girth. Okay, this ain't Claxon or James Jones, who are, are decent dudes, but relatively slim. He's a big boy. And then you got a guy with Seth Curry, and you still kept Patty Mills. What you're ensuring is that Patty Mills or Seth Curry is going to be on the court with you for you for 48 minutes. Brooklyn won this deal. Brooklyn won it. It's considerably so, in my estimation. That is what I said. If I was going to play devil's advocate with you, though, for a second, obviously the 76ers got better also in the sense that they have a player who's actually going to play for them. He happens to be a top five player in the world instead of the other guy who is refusing to play. But also they didn't have to give up Tyrese Maxey or Tobias Harris in order to get him. And now they don't have to waste more of Joel Embiid's prime. What do you think about that? Well, first of all, I didn't say they didn't get better. I acknowledge that they got better. They just made the opponents within the division considerably better, who was already a championship contender and considered to be better than them. That's number one. Number two, I don't think anybody right now would tell you that James Harden is a top five player in the world. Top ten uh, at his best, sure. But top five, I don't think anybody would, would say that. Number three, when we saw what James Harden was doing in Brooklyn, let's take into account, you know, because I was just arguing with Isaiah Thomas about this a few hours ago, and then he reminded me, when you look at James Harden in terms of making other people better because he was averaging 22, 10, and 8, what was he doing? He was getting in pick-and-roll situations, okay, or screening situations with the Claxons and Johnsons of the world, setting those picks and those screens for him, okay? Joel Embiid ain't going to do that. Joel Embiid's going to be looking for the ball. Joel Embiid's going to want the ball. Then not only do you take that into consideration, but you got Tobias Harris, who was a 20-point-per-game scorer, as your number two option. Now you're going to be asking him to set screens and picks and relegate himself to being a number three option. And all of this is why you've got just a few weeks left to salvage this season and to get yourself ready for a Brooklyn squad you made better, for a Milwaukee squad that just picked up Serge Ibaka, for a Miami squad who's no joke itself. I'm sorry. When I think about all the sixes gave up, yes, you held on to Maxi. Yes, you held on to, to, to Thibault. But in the end, even though you are better, and that is undeniable, you ain't Brooklyn. And Brooklyn, last time I checked, ain't in the West. They're in the East, not only in your conference, but right in your division, serving as a roadblock and an impediment to the very reason you supposedly got hardened, which is to go for the chip. I don't like it for Philly. I like it a lot for Brooklyn. Talking with Stephen A. Smith on ESPN Radio. And Stephen A., we saw the odds, according to Caesars Sportsbook, jump for the Sixers from 12-1 to 1 to 7-1 to 1 to win the NBA title. But from your perspective, what exactly is the ceiling for this Philadelphia 76ers team? Listen, James Harden can explode. He can remind – first of all, he can show us all that he's been lying. Um, he could lose weight all of a sudden. Uh, he could be a step faster like he used to be. And his hamstring ain't bothering him. All right, and his birth certificate didn't collect the dust that we thought it collect. <laughs> All of those things, I guess, are somewhat possible. But based on what we have been seeing and based on what we saw when he was in Houston, it wasn't enough to get it done. Now, he didn't have a Joel Embiid, and we all have to concede that, and I get that part. And we can't summarily dismiss the Sixers as a title contender. My point is I'm not debating any of that in terms of 
them being a better basketball team, them being a legit title contender. I'm not debating that. I'm saying they ain't better than Brooklyn and they ain't better than Milwaukee. And if you're going to make a deal to acquire James Harden, what you don't do is make Brooklyn that much stronger. You swap Ben Simmons for for Harden. You know why you couldn't do that? Because Daryl Morey went to Philadelphia promising the franchise he's going to get Harden. And Daryl Morey knew that everybody and their grandmother knew that's exactly what his intent was. And unfortunately for him, Sean Marks knew it. So Sean Marks didn't have to budge from anything in regards to James Harden in order to get this deal done. Sean Marks was able to sit back and say, hey, you know what? This is what we want, and we ain't budging. You don't want to give us uh, Maxi. You don't want to give us Thibault. We're going to get two first-round picks when you were asking everybody else for picks. We're going to get a shooter, and we're going to get a rebounder in a big body for our front court. He wasn't supposed to get all that. And he wouldn't have got all of that for James Harden from anybody else. He got it from Daryl Morey because Daryl Morey was too damn transparent with his desire to have his buddy back in James Harden. That's what happened. That's why he got hosed. So, Stephen A., those two teams got better. There's a team out in Los Angeles that didn't get any better at the trade deadline. That feels like a big problem for the Los Angeles Lakers. What do you make of that situation? I've never seen anything like this. To see Russell Westbrook this bad. Hey, y'all. I watched the brother pull up from 17 feet, was barely a hand in his face, and he hit the side of the backboard. I watched his brother drive into the lane a few weeks ago and put up a layup that hit the top of the backboard. I saw the crowd at the Staples Center, which is not the now the Crypto.com center, you know, center or whatever it is, and they were literally screaming at him, "Don't shoot! Don't shoot!" I've never seen a superstar in my life regress this fast, this badly, and. As bad as he is, we can't absolve LeBron James. LeBron James had a chance to have DeMar DeRozan. He had a chance to have Buddy Heald. He had a chance to keep the point guard, Dennis Schrader, that they had last year. Passed on all of that because he wanted his buddy, Russell Westbrook, there with him. And convinced Anthony Davis to sign on. It's an absolute mess. And on top of it all, you got an owner in Jeannie Buss, and her number one advisor is Linda Rambis, who is the wife of Kurt Rambis, Mm. the former player for the Los Angeles Lakers, who was horrible in New York as a coach, horrible in Minnesota as a coach. And don't get me started with any minimal executive role he has played. And he's a career five-point-per-game scorer, so we know he wasn't responsible for what the hell was happening in L.A. when Magic, Kareem, and Worthy and those boys were winning championships. He played a role, props to him. But we know who the players were. Some, yet somehow, some way, Linda Rambis and Kurt Rambis have such clout that they're able to sit up there and dictate not only the coach that gets hired, but the fact that they get to pick the staff for the coach. 
This is how horrible it is in Los Angeles right now with the Lakers organization. They're on a train track to nowhere, and it's just that bad. It's almost unspeakable how bad it is. Yeah, the Kurt Rambis, Phil Jackson era Knicks basketball is something, a nightmare that all New Yorkers want to forget. Unfortunately, he's brought that out to my Los Angeles Lakers. But, Stephen A., we appreciate a few minutes of your time. Thanks for breaking this thing down to a fine powder for us. Talk to you soon. Y'all take care. Thank you for having me. That is first take host Stephen A. Smith breaking down his thoughts on the trade deadline. And, Amber, it's clear that he feels like there's an obvious winner when it comes to this deal, and that is Sean Marks and the Brooklyn Nets. We'll have more on that when we get back, but also we'll have Pro Bowl defensive end Max Crosby from the Las Vegas Raiders joining the show. This is Amber Wilson and Chris Canny on ESPN Radio and ESPN+. Plus. This is ESPN Radio. Amber Wilson and Chris Canny on ESPN Radio and ESPN+. Plus. We're presented by Progressive Insurance. Get at us on the Twitter at ChrisCanny99, at AmberW790. And Amber, right now we got to go out to the hotline to bring on your favorite defensive lineman's favorite defensive lineman. That would be Pro Bowl defensive end for the Las Vegas Raiders, Max Crosby. And Max, I know it's got to be a good feeling to hear Pro Bowl put in front of that. Uh, You're making your first Pro Bowl in your NFL career. Yes, sir. I appreciate you guys for having me on. You know, uh... It's just more motivation. You know, uh, obviously it's good to do it one time, um, but I'm just looking forward to, you know, continuing to grow, you know, not only as a person but as a player um, and just, you know, keep reaching new heights every single year. Now, Max, this is your first Pro Bowl. You've been really transparent about your sober journey here. I think you hit the two-year mark in March. I had read that being named a Pro Bowler now with some of the adversity that you faced so far in your very young NFL career means maybe even more to you because of that. Can you share a little bit about that story? Yeah, you know, it just makes me... uh you know, appreciate everything a lot more um, because I know where I was at, you know, just mentally. Um, I was worn down um, and just just continuously, you know, doing the same things, the same cycle um, and expecting a different result. So, you know, it finally got to a point where, you know, I need I needed to get help and it was it was the best decision I ever made. You know, it's almost in, in March, it'll be two years um, and it's just a blessing, you know, having the people in my corner um, support me along the way and just, you uh, you know, being there for me whenever I need them. Uh, it's, it's it's just been an incredible journey. And now, you know, as a as somebody who's sober, you know, who's got a little bit of more time under their belt, you know, for me, it's it's about giving back and, and being of service. So that's what it's all about. Max, you and your team had a lot of adversity throughout the course of this season. You guys also played against some really really good quarterbacks in the National Football League. Young guys like Lamar Jackson, Joe Burrow, Justin Herbert, and Pat Mahomes. I got to ask you this, man: Which one is the toughest to game plan for? Ooh, that's that's tough. You know, obviously, <laughs> Mahomes is Mahomes is the best in the league in my in my opinion. So it would be hard to pick anybody else. You know, he just got such a unique ability to to throw on the run and just create um, from every angle possible. So a guy like that is you know almost impossible to game plan for. Not only are you a pro bowler, but you are also named a captain this season. I think Chris alluded to it there. You had a, a difficult season as an organization, certainly off the field. You went through a lot. Who do you attribute the leadership in the locker room to where you guys were able to keep that ship righted during the season? 
Yeah, you know, you you got to give credit to you know everybody that was involved. You know, not only from the coaching staff, you know, with Rich and uh, Marinelli and all those guys, but also you know players. You know, from DC um, to Yannick, myself, a bunch of people. You know, everybody. Not even guys with a C on their chest. There's there's a ton of guys that are, you know were contributing to keeping that thing together, and um, I just I got so much love for that. For that group of guys, you know, we'll we'll always remember this uh, this past season, no doubt. Talking with Raiders Pro Bowl defensive end Max Crosby on ESPN Radio, and Max, you were one of the players that were vocal after the season about wanting Rich Pisaccia to be the head coach moving forward. The organization goes in a different direction and hires Josh McDaniels. Your thoughts on hiring Josh McDaniels, and how, how have you been in touch with them, and and what has that communication looked like? Yeah, you know, obviously, Rich, you know, what he did for our team um, was incredible. You know, winning, we ended up winning 10 games, going to the playoffs, and almost winning a playoff game with Rich. So, obviously, we all had a sweet spot for him, and we love him to death. You know, obviously, in that time, there's a lot of emotions and things like that, but um, it's a part of this business, um, and life isn't fair at the end of the day. So, you don't always get what you want, but... You know, uh, Rich is going to be, in, you know, Green Bay is going to be in great hands with Rich. But you know, Coach uh, Coach McDaniel's um, obviously it has nothing to do with him. He didn't, he did nothing wrong. You know, he uh, he's just a, a guy who's going to come in here and is trying to win football games, and that's that's all that matters to me. Um, so obviously, you know, he's had a great track record. He's won six Super Bowls. Um, so I got a ton of respect for him. And every conversation I've had, not only with Josh but Dave Ziegler and um, our new GM and our D coordinator, Coach Graham, and all those guys have been been awesome so far. So, you know, I'm obviously, you know, you're upset, you know, when your coach goes, especially when you have a relationship like that with with Coach Coach Basaccia. But, you know, you gotta you gotta give everybody their fair try. And obviously, I'm looking forward to continuing to grow my relationship with the new coaching staff. And um, it's gonna be it's gonna be a great season, no doubt. Looking forward to this matchup on Sunday, obviously you're familiar with this Bengals team, maybe a little bit more familiar this season than you want to be. What makes this Cincinnati Bengals team special? Yeah, you know, obviously you got to start um, with, with the guy that, that gets everything rolling. You know, Joe, Joe Burrow, you know, he's one of the best young quarterbacks in the league. Um, he's done an incredible job so far, um, especially this season. Um, but then you got basically three number one receivers, you know, from Boyd to Higgins to Jamar Chase. And then on top of it, people forget you got Joe Mixon, who's one of the best backs in the league. Um, so they have weapons everywhere. And then on the defensive side, they have they have one of the best defenses in the league. You know, they have two good rushers on the edge um, with Trey and um, Sam Hubbard. And then they got DJ Reader, one of the best noses in the league. They got fast linebackers, playmakers on the back end. So they just got a really good roster. Um, and you know, they got they got swag. They're they're young and they got swag and they're, they're confident. Um, so I would not be surprised at all if they go in there and win that game. I'm not saying I'm picking them, but it wouldn't surprise me whatsoever. Max, I know it's your job to hunt quarterbacks, but I'm going to give you this opportunity on our show to advocate for your quarterback, Derek Carr. He's going into a contract year. His deal is up at the end of 2022. And I know it's taboo to talk about players' money, but I do want you to talk about the importance to you and to the organization to keep that guy around Vegas beyond next season. Yeah, you know, D.C., me and D.C. are super close, um, and I don't think there's anybody else that, you know, deserves it more than him. You know, he's proven it year after year. Um, he's proven that he wants to be a Raider for life. Um, so, yeah, you know, obviously I want him as my quarterback. He's the only quarterback I've had 
Um, and he's done such an incredible job, and he's still continuing to get better every year. And he's you know going into his ninth year now, so that's just a credit to his work ha- uh, work habits um, and his dedication to his craft. So guys like that, you know, I have so much respect for. Um, DC is like a brother to me, um, so you know I want him to get all the money he can. Max, before we let you get out of here, I know you're here on behalf of Refrain. Can you talk to us a little bit about what that is and what your partnership with them is? Yeah, you know, Refrain, you know, it, it's a it's a the number one sobriety app in the world. Um, they do an incredible job. You know, obviously they deal with a lot of people like myself, people who are sober, um, but also helping people, you know, who are still drinking get sober. So they do an incredible job, and it just basically gives people a safe haven and a community um, to, to not only – you know, come together and talk about what they're going, but um, just gives you the tools, um, different tools such as meditation and other things, you know, to to help, you know, with your sobriety. So they do an incredible job, and, um, you know, I'm, I'm glad I get to partner with them. It sounds like they do a lot of great work, and I couldn't imagine a better partner than you for Reframe in terms of being able to help people deal with their issues and their sobriety. So, Max, I want to encourage you to continue to do the work that you do out in the community, helping others to get to the other side of sobriety, but then also what you're doing on the field, man. You're a beast. You're one of my favorite players to watch. I said it for a reason. You're your favorite defensive lineman's favorite defensive lineman. Keep balling out there, man. We wish you the best of luck moving forward. Yes, sir. I appreciate you so much, man. Thank you. Thank you, guys. All right. That is Pro Bowl defensive lineman for the Las Vegas Raiders, Max Crosby. And Amber, he should be in line for a bag this coming offseason as well because he's eligible for a contract extension. So I got to advocate for my man to get that money. But uh, coming up next, the NFL honors are tonight. Who's going to bring home the MVP, Tom Brady or Aaron Rodgers? We'll have our take on that next. This is Amber Wilson and Chris Canney, ESPN Radio. Dr. George F. Grant was not looking to make history when he invented the golf tee. The Harvard grad and prominent dentist was simply trying to make a hard game a little less frustrating for his golfing buddies in Boston. Before the tee, golfers had to carry buckets of dirt from hole to hole and build small mounds to place their golf balls. You probably had no idea that his invention would change golf forever. ESPN Radio celebrates Black History Always. This is ESPN Radio. Wilson and Chris Canny on ESPN Radio and ESPN Plus. We are presented by Progressive Insurance. Hit us up on the Canny call-in line, 888-SAY-ESPN. That's 888-729-3776 on who you think won the Nets-76ers trade. It's clear our very own Stephen A. Smith thinks that Sean Marks and the Brooklyn Nets got the better of that deal. But we want to hear from you. Call and agree or disagree with the legend, the man, the myth himself. But uh, Amber, tonight... We got the NFL honors going on. But before we get to that, we got to go to this. Jumpstart the new year with Body Armor Light, the low-calorie sports drink hydrating your active lifestyle. Shop now at retailers nationwide. And so, Amber, they're going to be doling out accolades for what we saw in the NFL regular season this year. And, of course, the most important award that everybody wants to hear is the MVP, right? We want to know, did Tom Brady sneak in there at the 11th hour and steal it away from Aaron Rodgers? Or do you still think that Aaron Rodgers walks away with his fourth MVP trophy? I think Aaron Rodgers walks away with it, but I think Tom Brady should. And here's why. It depends where you look. The analytics actually favor Tom Brady when you're talking about the advanced analytics. He had one of the most prolific seasons, you could argue, Chris, in NFL history. You know, over 5,300 passing yards, 43 touchdowns. 
They had that number one passing offense. He has the edge in yards by more than 1,200 from Aaron Rodgers. He's got the edge in touchdowns. He's got the edge in completions. In fact, his 485 completions are the most ever. So he leads Rodgers in a ton of categories. Now, purists will tell you, well, yeah, of course he does because he played more and he was out there more and he was throwing the ball more. And let's not forget also Aaron Rodgers wasn't available at certain points because of that whole COVID situation as well. And then he was shut down essentially in their final game of the season too. So there was more volume for Brady. And because of that, the efficacy of Aaron Rodgers numbers, that's where he leads there. He was more efficient than Tom Brady and he certainly had far less interceptions. Aaron Rodgers only had four interceptions this season. So he leads in those categories. But I also think that the fact that Tom Brady at 44 years old was available every single game and every snap out there should play into this. I actually think that should strengthen the case. I know that skews the numbers a little bit and helps Aaron Rodgers in terms of the efficiency percentage and all that stuff and QBR and whatever. However, all those numbers I just gave you in Tom Brady, plus the fact that at 44, that dude was out there. We know that availability is the most important ability in all of sports. We say it all the time, Chris Canty, and it's a cliche, but it's true. That's why Tom Brady should be the MVP for the fourth time in his career, which, by the way, that seems like a really low number considering Tom Brady's career. Yeah, Amber, and I'm right there with you. Listen, Tom Brady had to co- overcome a lot of adversity throughout the course of this season. Guys being out because of COVID. You had the Antonio Brown drama. And you're talking about key players being out due to injury with Chris Godwin missing the season with a torn ACL. So I'm with you. The degree of difficulty was much greater with Tom Brady. With Aaron Rodgers, there was a lot of drama, but he was the one that was creating the drama as opposed to teammates for Tom Brady. That's why I would give him the edge. Keeping it pushing, Amber, we got to look at Coach of the Year. Now, I know that we're both on that Mike Vrabel train in terms of what he did, but are we giving Zach Taylor enough Uh, credit for what he's doing and does he have a leg to stand on when it comes to the conversation around who should be taking home this award he has every leg to stand on if this was an award that considered the postseason and I think that it's difficult for you and I to have this conversation right now right because we have the benefit of hindsight and we have the benefit of knowing that the Cincinnati Bengals are in the Super Bowl and I'm one who actually thought they might make a run here but I couldn't have even predicted this I think if you just take the regular season and vacuum Zach Taylor the Bengals they still overperformed he still deserves a lot of credit but not coach of the year kind of credit just yet Yeah, I'm right there with you. I think this is more a product of Joe Burrow than it is for Zach Taylor. Not to say that the head coach doesn't have anything to do with it, as TJ Hushmanzada told us last week, but I think Zach Taylor is not as much of a difference maker at the head coaching spot as Mike Vrabel is. Amber, one time, we got one more quick one. Defensive player of the year, TJ Watt or Micah Parsons? Who do you think is, is this bringing home a that conversation? trophy? I mean, I know JJ Watt has the numbers, but I, I, TJ Watt has the numbers, but let, obviously it's Micah Parsons all day. Yeah, I'm with you on that one. Micah Parsons is a Swiss Army Knight for the Dallas Cowboys. You can line him up on the line of scrimmage, and he can burn the edge with the best pass rushers in the National Football League. You can play him as a stack linebacker, and he can go sideline to sideline with any inside backer. And you got a guy that can cover, and he's got the range of a defensive back. That's how good Micah Parsons is. But coming up next, which team has a better chance of reaching the NBA Finals, Brooklyn or Philadelphia? We'll tell you. This is ESPN Radio.